G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The Story until 1987, I did not like children except my own. There was one stage when I said to my wife, look, I'm not going to church anymore. The kids are just playing up. Kids passing at notes to each other to talk during the service and they jump up and down, do all these weird things. And I can worship at home and I need to go there. And then it hit me. Hey, it's not the kids. I am the problem. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Today, we have a tribute to the late Dr. Harold Falge. In this interview with Harold, that was recorded in 2014, he'll share how he didn't always enjoy working with children. But the Lord worked on his heart, and he eventually became the founder of Harold's House for Homeless Kids, located in Cairns. Harold was born in Germany and professionally was a chiropractor. He begins by sharing with Karen Hunt how he came to live in Australia. Well, it goes way back from when I was 11 years old. Yeah. I was 11 years old, and we had a um, at school a movie about Australia in black and white, of course. There wasn't any sound, so we just had a um, teacher explaining things. And I was so impressed with this, I went home to my dad, and I said, Dad, when I'm old enough, I'm going to Australia. Which part of Germany was this, Harold? I grew up near Ulm. That's Stuttgart. That's the south part of Germany, uh-huh. near Lake Constance. Yeah. And so what did your dad say? We well, just said, oh, yes. <laughs> True <laughs> he story. didn't believe me. Yeah. But uh, I've been a stubborn person most of my life, and I usually got what I wanted. And so I made up my mind at 11 to come here, and when I was 19, I got here. So all through your teenage years, your high schooling years, what were you preparing for and what were your hopes upon arrival in Australia? Well, what intrigued me, and I remember going back, was that in Australia, because when you're 11, you're pretty impressionable. Uh So we were told there's no class distinction. Now, my dad's a butcher and had a butcher shop, and he was so kowtowing to everybody who came in, you know, always being subservient. And I said, I'm not going to do that. I found this country now where everybody's equal. <laughs> that's not quite true, but yeah. that's what I thought when I was 11. Mm-hmm. And I saw the people having their own houses, whereas we grew up in a little flat with uh, five kids. And I saw the, the people being free, and I just saw, the, and of course, impressed by horses, impressed by kangaroos <laughs> when you're 11 years old. And that's just maybe that's how I want to go. And I wasn't a Christian. I mean, I wasn't, um, I've never, Christ was first to my, for my mind until I was 29. Mm-hmm. And then God hit me in the head and I said, well, that's enough. You're walking around. <laughs> and I said, blindly, so you better come over to me. So, and that was, um, so I was an anti-Christian those days. I had a bad experience as a kid at school. And, uh, yeah, it was quite interesting that, um, God brought me all the way from Germany over here to give my life to him when I was 29 in a town called Kuma, which is in the Snowy Mountains. It is indeed. So tell us about that. What happened? Well, I ran through a bit of the trouble because I was studying and things, and life became pretty tough. And we had a bit of a marriage share problem there too. I mean, even I left my wife and the kids even to have marriage problems. And we separated for a little while. It's very hard to explain to, to people when you, uh, for the experience they had. I just mm-hmm. woke up one morning 
And uh, I leave it up to people whether how they want, want to interpret that. I just heard a voice in me saying, Harold, get up and go to church. Wow. Now, that's quite amazing because I thought maybe I'm going crazy because we didn't too many studies doing and, and running martial arts class and all those type of things to make a living. And, uh, well, so I thought to myself, which church did my wife go to? So she used to go to the Kuma Baptist Church. So I said, well, I go up there and I'll go in. And you won't believe that I go up there. Now, I was a fourth-band black belt at the time wow. in martial arts in yeah. karate. I went that side and I was too afraid to go into the church. True. So I went back home and I had the most miserable week. The next Sunday morning, the same voice again, Harold, go to church. That time, because I, I was uh, quite sick in the stomach, couldn't eat my breakfast or anything, I went to the church up there and I walked straight in. And when I walked through the door, it was like a curtain opening up in front of me. And I knew I belonged. I didn't know what, I didn't know why. I just knew I belonged. Mm. So, and then, of course, the, the church was nourishing me and, and, and feeding me with God's word and all those type of things. And then I got uh, baptized in uh, March uh, 1979 before I moved up here to Cairns. So at that time, did you have children? I already had two children, yes. And so when my wife came back, we went back together afterwards, of course. If we, in fact, we got baptized together at the same time. Really? We moved up to camps. The first thing we had was a son born in camps. I think it's really a, a blessing and a particular stamp of God saying, Hey, Harold, this time around you're going to have a right to proper marriage because I'm going to be a part of it. So he allowed us to have another son. Yeah, favor was upon you. So you already had one son, two sons? Two sons, and now we have three. You have three boys. But they have blessed me with granddaughters. Oh, true. <laughs> Extra favor, hey? Yeah, special. <laughs> so what was life like for you arriving in tropical far north Queensland? I mean, Cooma's a far cry environmentally, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes. Well, actually, becoming to Cairns, I think, was about the best things that had really happened. Now, number one, we knew God wanted us somewhere and God brought us up here. Yeah. And the church has got behind us so, so much right at the beginning. So we were able to uh, fit into the community very quickly. We got accepted very quickly. Um, then I joined the Gideons uh, for quite a while till I, I became too busy for that, unfortunately. And then we had a, a, a Sun Seeker Crusade up here, which even uh, embedded the, uh, the foundation of Christ in even more. So it was just a wonderful experience to be here. In fact, I have never, ever regretted any single day that I have been up here. And of course, growing in Christ makes so much difference in life. I mean, it's okay if you say it's a superficial, you, you know about Christ, but really getting in depth and allowing Christ to come into your heart and dwell in your heart and motivate you and do all the things that, uh, that he wants you to do. Now, it's just a wonderful experience. Until 80, 1987, I did not like children except my own. There was one stage when I said to my wife, look, I'm not going to church anymore. The kids are just playing up. Kids passing out notes to each other to talk during the service and they jump up and down, do all these weird things. And I can worship at home and I need to go there. And we had a pastor called Wes Caddy join the Kansas Baptist Church and I'd never met him before. And he rang me up one day and said, Harold, look, I haven't seen you in church and you're a member of our church. I'd like to visit you. So, well, you come along and I'll talk to you why I'm not coming to church. And so I started off, listen, Wes, I said, I'm not coming to church because the kids are doing this, the kids are doing that, and the kids are doing that. And then it hit me. Hi, it's not the kids. Mm -hmm. I am the problem, not the kids. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm going to church next Sunday. 
And uh, so I haven't missed any day since. So that's how I got with the kids. But then the work with the young people was another interesting story. We had a guy called Harry Corman. He ran a huge youth group in our church. Yeah. And uh, he asked me, Harold, what about the kids? And I said, what about the kids? <laughs> he said, oh, what about the kids? There must be something. He said, look, you've got my two sons in your youth group. That's all I want to do with kids. And then we had an election coming up of new people from the church, for the board and for the leadership. And an elderly lady approached me about March in that year, and she said, Harold, I've been praying, and the Lord's telling me that you should be the next youth director. Wow. And I said, oh, yeah, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't think God has this in mind at all. And then we had, in May, we had the election at the time, and the week before, an elderly man came to me and says, Harold, look, I've been praying. Uh, the Lord wants you in the youth ministry. And I said, look, now, you're the second person there. You'll allow my name to go forward to be nominated, but you'll find God won't have a bar of that at all. The election came, and I was the only one nominated. Really? Of course. <laughs> and the good thing was the kids came to me and said, hey, we don't want you. I said, well, that was even better. I thought, oh, I'm getting out of this one. But, uh, of course, I made a commitment to the church. I'm going to do it. So I prayed a lot. And within the three to four weeks, that all the kids that rejected me came to me and said, how have we prayed about it? I think you're the right man for us. Oh, and uh, it just uh, started developing not liking kids into actually loving young people. Mm. And now at 64, I mean, I get so thrilled when I work with young people. So you really needed to have a change of heart and a change of mind big time, hey? Oh, yes. I mean, God had to deal with me. <laughs> and he does exactly how to do it. <laughs> You're listening to The Story. Today we're hearing an interview with the late Dr Harold Falge, sharing his story with Karen Hunt. As we just heard, he really had a change of heart as far as working with children. Next, we'll find out how he became the founder of Harold's House for Homeless Kids, located in Cairns. That and more when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. Today, we're featuring an interview with the late Dr. Harold Falge that was recorded in 2014. He's sharing his story with Karen Hunt about how he became the founder of Harold's House for Homeless Kids, located in Cairns. And for parents, we just want to warn you that some adult themes will be mentioned in this next part of his story. Here you are today, you're in the local community, Carinity Youth. Harold's House is a community solution for the homeless kids and the homeless young people in your area. How did the change come about from being a youth worker or a youth group leader in the church to providing a shelter or a home for these homeless kids? Oh, well, this all happened in 1991. I had two of my sons still living with us, and one went over to university at that time. And uh, they were especially good during the week. So we decided we give them a special treat on a Friday night. And we tried to decide to walk our midnight from the northern end of the Cairns Esplanade to the southern end. There wasn't a lagoon there then, so it was totally different. But as we walked along there, we came past the toilet block, 
and we saw young boys and girls and we saw elderly people in the 50s and 60s hanging around these young boys and the girls. And as we walked past these kids, we saw an old man's hand creeping up a boy's thigh. Mm. So I said to my wife, hey, something isn't right here. I get to find out what's going on. I turned around and walked back and then the old man, the young boy, walked off. And uh, so I asked some of the other kids, what's happening here? The boy's indigenous, the guy's white, he's old and the other guy's young. What's he doing? And he said, well, he's just having sex with the old man mm. so he can buy some food. And I said, well, you've got to be kidding. Wow. We were so stunned. I went back to my wife and told the story. We could not continue our walk. We walked home and we sat down. And by then I was already a man of prayer. I already prayed and, and you know, tears streamed down my eyes. Mm. And I thought, what happened to this my country? The one I've chosen, the city I have chosen to live in. What's happening to it? Mm-hmm. What can we do? And then my youngest boy, who's 35 this year, he, he came, he was 11 years old. He said, Dad, why don't we cook some meals and you take it out to those kids so they don't have to do that? That's basically how it started uh, from working with the youth group, working with the homeless children. And as, again, it wasn't a Friday. I'm in a prayer. I prayed all weekend about what my son said. And um, being a chiropractor in the middle of the town on Monday morning, my secretary comes in and says, oh, Dr. Felch, I've got a 16-year-old boy in the waiting room. He injured himself. And uh, he's a streak. He's got no money to pay for it. Could you see him? Uh, of course, you know, I put right up one and one together. And it makes two. It's Friday. I had this experience. Now God's bringing a street kid into my home, right. into my practice. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's got to be some kind of message there. So after that, I treated the young boy. I talked to him about what we saw. And he said, look, that would be the best thing you could do because all the other youth agencies, they closed at 3 o'clock and we left on our own devices till the next day. And the weekends, they got nothing. So we decided to do something that week. My wife and my kid boys, we got together, we started cooking. And after a few weeks, people from the church came along there, started cooking. Uh, a year later, I have to add a first volunteer coming along. His name is Bill Fortune. And all these services, and we just gradually grew from the boot of my car. And now the Street Level Youth Care Program has three vans. Uh, when we were having the food van only, we lived on the street for a year or two. And one particular girl, she was 14 when she was on the streets first. And then in 2005, she actually became a lawyer. And we had not a girl living on the street for quite some time. There was a problem at home. Dad kicked her out. She was an A-plus student in one of the local schools. She was living on the Esplanade. She was having food with us, having conversation with us. And a few months later, the girl was allowed to go back home again. And she became a medical doctor. Mm. And only a couple of weeks ago, uh, I had a phone call from an ex-street kid from 20 years ago. Yeah. He said, look, uh, I'm Matt, and um, I've been Cairns. I would like to visit you. And I said, okay, no worries. Come on to visit me. Well, he also is a doctor. Uh, they showed the, in, about in 2005, when this girl became a lawyer, that gave us the idea that we need to do something to get kids off the street, given into an environment where they actually can study, where they're safe, where they feel like uh, being at home, even though we're not their parents, but uh, where they can become and they share their issues and problems and where they get encouraged. In fact, we take the kids, the kids to school every morning. We pick them up in the afternoon oh, so the kids will not uh, have a chance to have a miss school mm-hmm. unless they're sick. And so that gave us the idea. The word Harold's House is another story. We had a TV interview at that time with the federal member Warren Inch, the member for Leichhardt, and um, we were in the interview, and uh, during the interview he said, 
oh, that's a good idea of building a house, and we're going to call it, we're going to help you with finances, and we're going to call it Howard's House. Mm-hmm. So that's how we got the word Howard's House. Because okay. I never ever would have called anything after me, but um, it was his initiative. And it worked pretty well because um, now we have a name in town, and um, people know that well, there was a story with Howard's House, number one. There is a Christian background. There's honesty. There's... Um, the uh, welfare for the kids at heart, all those type of things which now has become a uh, virtual part of the community and there we have now we have no integrity within the community. So that's basically what what's actually happened and that's how we got the name Harold's house. Wow. But even from the house here look we had a very angry young boy came to us early last year. He wasn't allowed to be in the foster homes anymore. The foster homes wouldn't put up with him. Mm. And uh, we had child safety another organization um dropping him and asking, could you take care of that kid? Now, he's a big kid, 16 years old, tough guy, and he came to us and with an attitude, you know, within weeks, the Lord melted him and molded him, and he was with us for 355 days. He was as quiet as a lamb. He never lost his temper. I think what was missing in his life was actually the love mm. and the love of Christ, which all of our volunteers ought to have be able to give to the young people. So that may motivate him. Now he's got an apprenticeship to become a checkeroo. That's quite interesting. He wasn't academically inclined at all. But while he was with us, he went to TAFE. And only last year, after being with us almost 200 days, he came home one day and says, Harold, I learned something. I said, what? I now can read the time. But at 16 years of age, yeah. he didn't know how to read the time. Mm-hmm. No wonder he was late for dinner. <laughs> So there are so many good stories today that we can tell you about what happens to the kids in here. So speaking of being late for dinner, so you really do operate as a family. They're expected oh, yeah. to participate, what, doing chores, keeping the house rules. So when you yep. sp- when you speak of we, so your wife is still fully involved with you in this? She is doing a lot of volunteer work. She does a lot of sleepovers mm-hmm. because you have to have someone at the house uh, 24 hours a day, basically, when the kids are here. But so we live right next door in the granny flat, and so we don't have far to go if we are called on. But the um, uh, thing is, is the, we have a dinner together at between 5 and 5.30. Yep. So I should be right now, but uh, that's okay. I hope they um, forgive you. You may have to cut that out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and um, <laughs> it's compulsory to sit at, with us at the table. No telephones allowed, and no one's allowed to get up until everybody's finished. And we get kids coming for the first time, they sit... Well, what am I going to do is sit at the table after I have my food? Say, well, just stay with us and talk with us. And say, oh, I don't have nothing to say. That's all right. Just sit there with us anyway. You know, two or three days later, you often can't shut them up. Mm. And because what we do, it's, we, there's not, no interruption there. No phones allowed during dinner. No radios allowed. The boys are not allowed to have caps on. All the girls, the boys must have a shirt on. Mm-hmm. And we say grace no matter what the people, uh, whether they believe in God or not. They're just, we give them the option to stay outside while we say grace. Mm. And but no one ever does. They always stay at the table, and we have conversations, and we have the rule that we only have positive talk at the table. So no one is taking the negative about anybody while we're sitting at the table. And if there is a tad of negative talk, what's the consequence? Uh, the consequence, well, we, it's the people who are at the dinner table need to guide it and stamp it or stamp it out before it happens. Mm-hmm. So far, it's quite easy. We had only one incident in the last two years where actually we had to intervene. Now, it's, it's generally just a, the way you can be guided because we ourselves are talking positive about things. Yeah. The big thing is we have a lot of praise for the kids. 
we do we do let them know when they don't don't do things don't do things right, but it's all a special way of doing it. It's not just simply the, being um, like a dictator coming down yeah. on them. One thing I found, when I can get the kids to see why we're doing what and why we have certain rules, they usually comply quite comply quite readily. Mm. Just simply, if the kids can't see the reason for a rule, that they will complain and will uh, try to uh, try to uh, go against it. But generally, if they can see it. Yeah, you have no problem. It's really just a matter of talking with the kids at, at a level that they understand and make them feel part of a decision. Um, whenever we decide something, we try to include them, even though in the end the final decision is always up to um, the to staff because we have to uh, look at the risk factors and this and this and that. But it's quite an easy thing to work with young people. Just don't become aloof. You know, Don't be above the people. Um, you have your clear mind. You know what you want and you, you know what you need to implement. But at the same time, we need to be at a level where the kids actually understand, where they feel comfortable, and the most important thing is you need to get their trust. Well, sounds like a very loving and accepting environment. How many kids are there at any one time, Harold? Six is all we can have legally. Mm-hmm. So with six kids, we come under the normal household. Yes. Uh, six unrelated children under 18, and uh, carers, and which is all for our staff. And so we feel we just live in a normal community. Our neighbours know we are Christians. Our neighbours are very good. And uh, to us and, uh, and, and, and our kids behave themselves. This Our kids are just like, uh, at the moment, we just got the angels in the house at the moment. And how long they have last, but anyway, <laughs> they're very well behaved right now. And uh, we have, uh, you know, what gets me so excited is those kids are hungry for the Word of God. Mm. And we can't impose the Word of God on them, but they keep asking, why do you do that? Why do you do that? And so, well, do you want to come to the office and chat? Because we all get, you have to ask the kids, do you want me to talk about my faith? And you say, yes, so we'll call you open start, you can go ahead. And uh, you just very, very careful what you say. But we had, uh, from from the house itself, we had eight baptisms last year. And that is a tremendous thing, you know. Yeah. And from kids that knew only the, the Jesus as a swear word, uh, coming to the point where actually surrendering their life to him, it just blows my mind you know to me it's such a privilege that God gives me to work with these young people I mean God allows me to see someone coming to him well I don't know how about people need drugs because I get so high and I'm on on a cloud seven for days after the kid becomes a Christian Harold it's been great sharing with you thank you so much for your time and have a great day hey and you too and thanks for giving me the opportunity you are very welcome bye 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 That was an interview with the late Dr. Harold Falge that was recorded in 2014 about how he became the founder of Harold's House for Homeless Kids, located in Cairns. It was great to hear the impact he had on the lives of hundreds of children, and he even received an Order of Australia medal for his work. Unfortunately, Harold passed away in 2017, and for a while, Harold's house was forced to close due to a lack of funding. However, we are happy to report that it has since reopened, and that Harold's legacy continues on. Well, thanks for joining us for Dr. Harold Falge's inspiring story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. Well, I got married at 21 and uh, we wanted to start a family young, but there was a lot of complications and everything like that. And then we went and got the test done and everything like that. And then I was told that I wouldn't be a dad. And then after four years, my wife was like, I don't feel this is going anywhere. And I was like, okay, I kind of feel the same way. And then she took off, but she little did I know she was actually taken off with another person. 
Reese Solomon grew up feeling like he never really fit in, and he describes himself as a misfit. But after going through an extremely difficult period in his life, his faith is stronger than ever before, and he's thriving as a Christian hip-hop artist. We'll hear his story next time. The Story. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. 